Hello and welcome to the Weekend Update. It's Friday the 10th of February 2023. I'm your host Chris Gallagher and we've got some plenty of stuff to talk about looking ahead to the big game against St Mirren. Uh, we've got opposition analysis, we've got the St Mirren point of view. I'm joined today by Callum Gordon. Hello Callum, how are you? I'm doing good mate, how are you? Not too bad. Uh, it's I'll give you the wee weather update because I know you're on the agenda now and then and you like the wee, you know, bed yourself in um i wait it, for it every week <laughs> it's a uh, pure heavy rain it's it's absolutely horrific in glasgow really really wet really windy and um yeah just pretty horrible what about your what's it like in berlin beautiful sunshine mate Bastard. lovely absolutely. it's like three degrees it is baltic um it has been like minus three four past few days but as long as it's sunny and dry, I don't really mind. As long as it's dry. I mean, I can go with the cold, but I hate the dry. That's what people always... I, I hate the, the wet. That's what people always say, isn't it? They do. They do say that. Fucking <laughs> hell. Uh, I've got a really important question that I've been meaning to ask you for ages. Uh, see, in Germany slash Berlin, do they call it... Like, what do they call diluting juice? Uh, I have no idea. Do they not have that culture over there? Do they not have the diluting juice culture? I don't know, it's not something I ever buy and it's probably not something I ever checked in the supermarket. I don't know, you've completely thrown me there. Um, and my German is fucking terrible anyway, so I wouldn't actually be able to give you the translation or whatever. Um, I'll come back to you on that one. Great, I look forward to it. A little bit of homework, a little bit of homework for you. Um, how, how is things? How is things in Germany? Um, how's, how are you doing? Aye, good. Um, I mean, work's been fairly busy, but... You know, also missing the fact that there's not two Celtic games a week. It feels like you've got a, a very long wait in between because usually that, that's quite nice for breaking up your week, you know, having something on a Wednesday to look forward to. Um, I, January, February over here can always be fairly cold and grim, but, you know, generally it's been all right. How are you feeling with everything in regards to, obviously, we're out the window now, we've brought in some players. We were talking about it yesterday on the uh, weekly about, you know, kind of squad rotation and getting players minutes. How are you feeling about it? Um, I, I really like when you know, sort of the window's done, you can stop, you know, looking at speculation on players and so on, uh, and you can just really focus on, you know, the football for the next few months, sort of the business end of the season. Um, the squad's really settled and looks really strong. Um, so yeah, no, really happy with you know, sort of the window that we had. Um, I think we certainly came out of it stronger. I'm glad that Jackie Marcus thing has finally been resolved as well. So there's nothing really hanging over, hanging over the club in that regard, and we can sort of just kick on now. Um, you know, team's been team's been in great form, um, and you watch them each week and think, you know, this team still has levels to go up, which I, I think is, is is quite exciting. Um, you know, Andrew's teams have sort of always been known to peak sort of towards the end of the season. I know that's something he's been speaking about in the past. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. I think now that there's no no European football to sort of look at, you know, winning a treble, I think then becomes a priority, even if that wasn't at the start of the season. Yeah. You know, this team's too good to only just win a double, as ridiculous as that sounds. Um, do you think, would you, as a fan, would you be disappointed if we don't win the treble? I know, I know as you say, it's a ridiculous kind of thing to, to think about, but it kind of is the marker now, weirdly. Yeah, um, I'd want Andrew out immediately <laughs> if he fails to do it. Yes, um, you talking. Jesse March is, is back on the market, you can go get him. Um, no, I, I think we were a little bit spoiled or became 
sort of immune to the fact that it's really hard to do a treble. You know, doing four in a row is something that I just still don't think we fully appreciate how, how difficult it is to go in that sort of length of winning run in sort of cup competitions. Um, and you even, you know, watching back the highlights of certain big games, you know, the the one that Johnny Hayes misses when it's cut back to him in the first treble, you know, the all these all these moments and you really need the stars to align. Um for you to keep that one run going um, and you look at any number of moments in, in that run um, and how it could have all, you know, how, how it could have all changed so so dramatically. Um, so you need a huge slice of luck. Um, and, you know, if we don't win a treble this season, it'll of course be disappointing. But, you know, the reality of it is, the, you know, this is a very, very good Celtic team that I think would stack up, you know, fairly well against, you know, the best of Brendan Rodgers' team and so on. Um, and it ultimately, you know, it's down to two cup competitions uh, that you need to win and anything can, can sort of happen in those. So it would be, it would undeniably be disappointing. And part of that is also the fact that you sort of, if you don't win a, one of the one of the cups, then you sort of know who you're probably handing it to, yeah. um, and that's sort of the biggest annoyance. If it was, you know, an Aberdeen or a Dundee United that won it, for example, then you don't really mind. Um, but it's the idea of you know killing as much joy as possible, taking that from them. I mean, just basically squeeze the joy out of their life. Yeah, I want them to be miserable. Yeah, I I, I enjoy that more than any Celtic victory. <laughs> I agree. Good, good. Uh, see, on that, um, and this is kind of unfair to ask you this, but it's something I think we can maybe look at maybe close season, but where does this team stack up? Um, obviously, there are kind of two or three really impressive teams over the last kind of 20 years. You look at the the 3 4 team, uh, the team after Seville, where we were incredible, um, scoring lots of goals, Henrik Larsson, most, you know, just getting to the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup, doing a double. Um, then you look at the Brendan Rodgers side and stuff. I, th- I'd, I think those two sides are the two sides that I would say are comparably the the best. Um, where does this side kind of fit? Does it, does it is it good enough to kind of be in that conversation, do you think? I think so, regardless of, you know, how how many trophies we win at the end of the season. Uh, I think in terms of performance and, you know, I know you and Christian the weekend update last week were discussing how many goals we've scored and how we're essentially not, not only on track to beat the record for most goals scored, but, you know, absolutely smash, smash it. it. Um, yeah, I think I can't, don't think you can ignore that. Um, you know, we've also got, I think, this this Rangers side that we're up against is a much provides a much sterner test than um, you know some of the teams that you know in the Brendan Rodgers era he would come up against. You know those were great days and it was brilliant going to Ibrox and you know pulling their pants down repeatedly. But you know you look at some of the players they had starting for them and it's not comparable to you know love that love that as I am to give them sort of any credit. It was a team that was in Europa League final you know, only six months ago and you know we were told that they were better than the Lisbon Lions and so on um, so there is it's undeniably a much better standard of uh, 
opposition in that regard. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, we'll see when we get to the end of the season. I think you sort of always need a bit of time to reflect on things. But in terms of the, the quality of football and the fact that we've gone up a level again this season, you know, think back to Brendan Rodgers and that second season was a bit turgid at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've really, really kicked on and looked like we're continually improving as a football side. So uh, it's exciting. It's exciting that you think, you know, there's potentially more levels to, to go up. But I think from this, you know, looking at it from this current context of where we are, um, I think that this current Celtic side could probably stack up with, you know, <clears throat> some of the Rodgers sides. I don't know if we'll quite touch that, um, you know, post-Seville season. Um, you know, that was the best Celtic side that I've ever seen in my life. And the absolute, you know, sheer quality that was running throughout that side was was unbelievable. But slightly a rung below that, then, then definitely I think they've been with a shout. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think there's there's in, uh, interesting conversations to be had. It's always kind of tough to compare and contrast old teams because obviously different times and stuff. But yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll have a bit of fun talking about that over the over the summer. Um, got a question from Troy. He sent this into the weekly, but we didn't have time to cover it. Um, our current team on form will dominate anything in the Premiership. But what, what about the Champions League group stage? If we get a decent draw and not the usual Barca, PSG and Real Madrid, do you think this team can get top two? If not, where are the areas we need to strengthen? Goalkeeper is a given. Good question, Troy. It really does come down to luck of the draw um, because you're always going to get a really, really tough pot one. I mean, you just can't deny that. And then there are pot two teams that you sometimes look at and you think, "Mm, we could compete with them, you know. Um, What's your kind of thoughts on it? Yeah, no, I think so. I think this year was the prime example of, you know, how much luck plays a part in that. You know, if you play Red Bull Leipzig before they sacked Tedesco, yeah. I Shakhtar got them. Um, you know, that's possibly a completely different scenario and you managed to go there and take a point or maybe three, I Shakhtar did. Um, and then obviously they changed the manager and um, all of a sudden looked like a completely different side. You know, those sort of things can make a make a huge difference. Um I think if we get a kind draw you'd be you'd be aiming for, for second or at least, you know, in with a shout of it, you know, and then happy to to drop into third if that happens because as much as it would be great getting to the last sixteen of the the Champions League undeniably, you know, I would also it would also equally be great to see this team go on a proper European run, you know, deep into a competition and that's, you know, the reality of it is that's not going to be the Champions League. Um, but I think that sort of Ange said if it continues improving and building the way it has been could do real damage um, in the sort of Europa League um, I think we have more than enough quality to compete at that level and towards the sort of latter stages of of that tournament um, so yeah you know second would be great I think that's what we all want to all want to aim for but there is always that nagging thing of you know if we did drop down into the Europa League how far could we go could we go to a final and so on um, but I, I think it's I mean it's still still a long way away at this stage and like I said I think this team still has a good bit of developing to do you know between now and then um, you know we've brought in players and they're still bedding in and so on um, but I would like to think, you know, come September or so on, we're in good shape to have a right good run at it. In regards to that sort of strengthening position, um, Jambo Roy also asks, with the transfer window shut, you'd hope within the club, uh, they've got their eyes firmly set on the summer window, what's the number one key area to strengthen and what type of player do we need in? So that kind of backs up kind of Troy's question of what areas do we need to strengthen? 
we've discussed goalkeeper to death. I think we all know that Joe Hart at least needs to be challenged by someone, whether it's him as, you know, bringing in another number two or oh, let's be realistic, we want someone to come in and take the jersey. So goalkeeper aside, is there any position that you're looking at thinking the player in there is good, but I'd, if we can improve on them, you know, the one you'd probably look at and you'd say probably not is probably Cal McGregor. That's that number six. It's kind of really tough to upgrade on him because of just everything, he, all the qualities he brings. Is is anyone kind of out with that realms or is everybody up for, is every position up to up for an upgrade? I think you look at, you look at the fullbacks and so on and, and both have flaws, whether it's physically or, or technically, that, you know, might get exposed on a higher level, but they're more than competent Um Domestically, um, set, uh, to be honest, centre back as well. You know, you look at a pairing for for Carter Vickers and Starfelt. It was really unfortunate he never really got a run. Yeah. Um, you know, it was Jens that started most uh, most of the Champions League games, or maybe all of them, I think. Um, and you would like to see how that pairing does, but you know, there is the sort of the the two of them. You know, I don't think they're terrible on on the ball at all, but you maybe want that sort of more cultured ball playing centre back in there with Carter Vickers, who's you know a fantastic defender. But these are all wee things that you know you could potentially you know upgrade on. Uh, but I don't think there's any sort of glaring weakness. Um, I think what was interesting is that the players that we brought in in the in the January window, you know, they were all big, strong, powerful players, you know, Oh, Iwata, Johnson, Kobayashi, they're all over six foot, I think. Yeah. Um, that was the, that, that was a real thing that stood out to me in the group stages, you know, tech, technical ability, I didn't think that it was too much of an issue, but, you know, coming up against the likes of Red Bull, Leipzig and our players just bouncing off them and it was really stark how yeah. big and powerful and strong, you know, as well as being technically good footballers, uh, but they had real power in that side. Um, and I wonder if that's something and just sort of been looking at uh, with a view to next season, um, you know, bringing in the likes of Iwata and Johnson and so on. Um, because you do need it to compete at that that level and it's not some sort of archaic Gordon Strachan type view if you just need big strong boys but you know at that top level of football everybody's you know technically excellent but they're also real proper athletes um, and there's a few times watching this Celtic side in, in Europe um, and you sort of they look like wee guys playing against men at, at times um, so I think if you can sort of complement the side with you know hopefully it is Iwata and Johnson and all that can provide that but a bit of power and strength and pace, you know, added to the team um, so that we can compete on a physical level because, as we saw, we can press a team fairly well for, for 60 minutes, but that was that continual thing of falling out of games and losing balls in transition and, and you know, sort of half the team being left up the park. So I think if you can improve the sort of overall side physical capability, which, you know, hopefully those signs are doing, I think that's a real key improvement without necessarily, I don't think there's a silver bullet position that you can point to and say, we improve on that. And it's all of a sudden going to make things drastically different, but, you know, constantly talk about raising that level slowly. Uh, And I think sort of the signings that we've brought in, we'll see if they do it. But I I certainly think that's part of the the thinking in in it. Yeah, I I think really good points overall. I I would, Kind of point that, and again, like I don't want to go back twenty years, right? But someone like Chris Sutton, who just uses used his physicality physicality in a very intelligent way. Um, also, guys like Alan Thompson, who was not the most physically big, but he was hard. 
yeah. I sometimes feel like um, our team, we've talked about it in the past a little bit, but like, some of it, it's not hard enough. And I, I don't mean like, I want them going in fouling people or like going in with knee high tackles, except for derbies. But like in European stuff, like it, it just I see the point. The point you just made there about uh, bouncing off players against Red Bull Salzburg, like, Red Bull Leipzig, like that's totally true. And I just think sometimes we just need a little bit of toughness. I don't want to I get. I don't want to bring in players who are hard. At, you know, the expense of technical ability or anything, but it is. It's kind of hard to find that kind of mix of, you know, physicality and technique, which hopefully we have found with some of these players. So, great points. Uh, just your thoughts on Chris Sutton, just in general. Wonderful, wonderful player. Loved him at Celtic. Um, I don't know. As a pundit, some, some depends on what he says, really. If he says what I agree with, I quite like him. And then when when he says things I disagree with, then, you know, less so. Um, but yeah, no. So Sutton was a, was a brilliant player and, and such an intelligent player in the way that he used his body and would, would manipulate players. Um, you know, he looked fairly, you know, he played all over the park for us at certain points and always looked, you know, relatively comfortable, which is the mark of, you know, a real good footballing brain uh, as well as the sort of physique and, and talent that he had. So, I big fan. Big fan as well. Absolutely. Smashed them. Absolutely adored it. Great stuff. Great after. <laughs> so was Alan Thompson. Uh, I was just, I was just. We've got a little. There's not a lot of news. Um, obviously, we covered most of the news yesterday on the weekly. But um, Jack Macis has been told by Lewis Morgan that the MLS is one of the top leagues in the world, and he's going to have to try really hard. Um, this is uh, uh, Lewis Morgan, um, yeah. the guy, who, the superstar in the MLS, telling. You know, yeah, him and Johnny Russell have both gone over there and made you know a fairly good career for themselves. But equally, you know, we've sent you know there's been players that have gone over from from Scotland and been absolutely terrible. And you kind of wonder the MLS fans look at our league and think, ah, that's terrible. You know, the standards shocking. You know, they sent us that Chris Boyd and he was voted the worst player, worst signing in the club's history or whatever it was. Yeah, um, you know, an aging Kenny Miller went over there, failed. Uh, Barry Robson as well, so maybe we are the wee guys. Oh shit, maybe we are the wee guys. I've just <laughs> fuck. Oh, thanks, Callum. You've ruined my weekend. Um, no, I I just think it's funny. Like uh, this isn't genuinely isn't a shot at anyone in regards to like the, it's a shot at Lewis Morgan. I'll be honest. Um, just for fucking for fun. Um, but also like Ryan Porteous going down to like Watford and talking about the standard is so much better here and all this, and it's like you were the standard, pal. You were part of the league, like. I just don't know why teams, like players, leave the league and then take shots at it. Like, I think it's you know 90? a bit of insecurity as well about the move because you know ninety nine times out of hundred they're moving for the money and that's fine. That's football and that's you know the reason that most most footballers will move country or move to another club or whatever. But it probably helps you know when you're going to sleep at night if you tell yourself constantly that actually this is a much better standard than yeah. Um, then you know, up in Scotland or whatever, particularly when you know you've gone down to the championship and we've seen the amount of absolute diddies who've tore it up in that league, like Daryl Murphy and so Darryl on. Um, genuinely, one of the worst footballers I've ever seen at Celtic, but managed to score something like forty goals in a season down there. Um, 
you know, it's a real MLS and Championship. I think we're both a real mixed bag. You will get players of genuine quality yeah. in there. That's undeniable. Uh, but in terms of the overall standard, I'm not. I'm not convinced. You know, Scott McKenna also went down there. Who I thought was a fairly average defender, um, and not only did well in the Championship, but managed to get promoted. Um, so I, I don't think that it's got the quality that you know it's talked up to be, or that Sky talk it up to be, certainly. Um, and it probably, like I said, makes them feel a little bit better that the idea that they're not just moving for the money. I love it. You're dig, digging into their psyche and just being like, aye, they know. They know they're going for the money. Um, Ryan Porteous, man. No thanks. Uh, have you seen the new Scotland strip? I haven't, no. Um, you should check it out. Like, um, just... I'm, I've, you know, I've not bought a Scotland top since I was a wee guy, but, like, the new one they've released is, like, universally being seen as... It's pretty, it's really simple and impressive. Um, just check it out. I just, if you had seen it, I was going to have a chat about it, but it's very, very nice because I know you're a you're a guy who likes kind of cool things and all that. I I, I've, uh, no, I've not seen it. I've just Googled it now. It looks, it does look very, very nice. Um, I was, the Adidas tops, I think, in general, have been quite boring and bland up to this stage. You know, there's been a couple of nice away ones, but um, aye, that looks good. I look forward to not buying that. But <laughs> it's very nice. Yeah, I look forward to making a comment in a pub to someone at some point. Um, and, and we've got, obviously, we, we've got a question from uh, Raymond. Uh, he WhatsApped in and said, uh, don't know if you want any questions for today, but I have one regarding the Super League. Is the furore about the Super League from mainly the English-based media and fannies like Thogden? <laughs> that wee guy, aye. Um, aye. <laughs> is it hypocritical? Because the EPL is essentially based on greed already. Uh, good point, Ray. Um, absolutely. I mean, the fact is, there's a lot of hypocritical points kind of being, being rolled out in regard to the Super League. Sky coming out saying, this is going to ruin football. Sky! Sky yeah. coming out saying this is going to ruin football. Um, how obviously you you're based in Berlin in, in Germany. Has there been a lot of chat about it? Has there been a lot of coverage on it? What's your kind of take from that point of view? I had a wee look this morning, and you know, general reception in the media has been sort of met with a lot of scepticism because the proposal seems fairly fairly light on detail and it just sounds sort of like you know the Champions League uh, but ran by a different body um, for a different for a different group of supervillains that's there's no <laughs> there's no group you're backing here um, you know the EPL is completely destroyed and distorted football you know you've seen the spending figures for the January window and you know other clubs and and big leagues simply you know can't compete and you do sort of understand the notion that they're worried that you know they'll be left behind in a in a footballing sense because of the concentration of wealth and and the EPL is is so great um that not even the likes of Bayern or Juventus or Barcelona can sort of really bridge that gap without going into to more and more debt and you know the sort of annoying or frustrating thing is sort of instead of cutting the cloth accordingly uh, and taking a step back and thinking, hold on, maybe we need to rethink football a little bit. They've sort of doubled down on it and tried to, you know, create their own version. Um, yeah. You know, part of me would be quite happy if they can take their ball and they can all go play each other, you know, for the for the rest of the season or whatever. And, you know, you can see Barcelona playing Liverpool, you know, six times a year and it'll be incredibly boring. Um, I'm, 
I had no interest really in in Celtic being a part being a part of the Super League and you know being sort of the token the token history club that gets battered six yeah. nil uh, every week. Um, I'd be quite happy if, whether it's the EPL that do it or um, you know these super clubs if they if they go off and form their own competition and kind of leave European football to. To the rest of us, because there's plenty of you know big clubs with great history, uh, great supports um, that have been completely been left behind. And you know, if they're lucky, they'll maybe get a run to a quarter final, a semi final of the Champions League. Um, you know, European football has became increasingly sort of stale. I don't, I don't watch Champions League group stages unless we're really in it. Yeah, um, you know, it's great to be there, undoubtedly, um, but. I don't know. It just it doesn't it doesn't appeal to me, uh, and you know in terms of the, the reaction journey, I can't imagine without with the exception of maybe Bayern and Dortmund that will be any great appetite for for any Super League. You know, um, the sort of prevalent view here is that you know they're quite happy with the the setup, or most match going fans are anyway. They sort of look at. Um, the EPL with a bit of distaste and um, they're quite happy that they've got reasonable prices and full grounds and you can get a beer and you have a say in your and how your clubs run to some extent. Um, so no, I, I don't th- I don't imagine there'll be a whole you know, great appetite for it over here anyway. Do you know what I think weird about it? Like you mentioned, the big thrill about Celtic potentially being, an example, the Europa League next season would be that run to the final where it's knockout football, where it's a two-legged mm. affair and, you know, you're, there was a lot of kind of, um, what's the word? Uh, it's just kind of everything hangs in the balance because, you know, it, you, you could be knocked out, essentially. See this idea of, like, um, we're going to have four divisions and it's just going to be like a league setup. Like, who gives a fuck? On it? Like, you, your league football is your domestic league, right? So that's where your bread and butter is and that's when you play, <clears throat> that's when that counts. The whole point of European football, I think, is the the drama and the fact that anyone, it sh- the way it should be, anyone can knock anyone out. See the idea of just like four divisions, you play guaranteed because it's all this whole guaranteed fourteen matches. Fourteen, who gives a fuck? See if it was yeah. one big giant knockout tournament with no seeding, and it was just fucking round robin, and you could pull anyone out the hat, and really is a lot of it's based on that would be fantastic because. That would just be back to the old style, and I would count on Celtic probably getting Real Madrid in the first round. But you know, like <clears throat> that, the whole excitement and drama of European football for me is the knockout element. And if it's just leagues, who cares? Isn't it? I absolutely um, no. I think the the magic or the excitement of our run to the, the final in Seville um, was, was certainly part of that. You know, each time meant you know really meant something. Um, it wasn't, you know, a series of you know group games followed by you know post post January knockout ties, um, and that was what made it really really exciting. And that was also why you would get you know fairly you know interesting teams appearing in the latter stages of competition. I think you know you saw the following year you had a Champions League final. I know they didn't have straight knockout from the start, but you had Monaco against Porto, and I think after that there was a sort of realisation that you know this can't happen <laughs> yeah. again uh, because you know we want you know the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, Chelsea, AC Milan or whatever to, to be in there. We don't want these diddy teams turning up and spoiling our tournament and going all the way to the final. Um, 
but I know in terms of what you would pay to watch and ex- excitement, you know, something that's completely unseeded and you could potentially see an upset um, or you could, you know, early on, you could see two, a massive tie between two big teams. Um, I think it would be really interesting and exciting, but, um, you know, sadly, it's it's not one that can make as much money potentially for for the powers that be compared to, you know, 10 Ten guaranteed group games where they can sell their rights all over the world, and you know, undoubtedly stream it at weird times and play it in you know different continents and and all sorts. It's all a bit depressing because it's it doesn't feel like the football you necessarily grew up with. Exactly, that's it. It just feels like you're. It's becoming a completely different sport, and uh, let's hope that we can pull some of it back and just I don't know. We'll see. Um, let's focus on the game versus Saint Mirren at the weekend. Let's go straight to opposition analysis. I am joined now for some opposition analysis by the greatest analyzer of them all, especially the opposition. It's Christian Will. Follow Christian. Hello. Do you remember that Ben Affleck movie called The Accountant? And he was called Christian Wolf. <laughs> Shut up. He was not. It's absolutely true. I think it's uh, it's a remake coming. The Analyst. <laughs> So, good. I've never actually seen it, but I, I don't think he spelled it correctly. But yeah, Google Ben Affleck <laughs> accountant. I'm going to do that right now. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that got that got um, mixed reviews, but from what I heard, it was quite good. Um, I think mixed reviews is pretty much quite good for Ben Affleck, isn't it? It's also it's very good, much. A, it's yeah. also good for Christian Wolf as well. Um, it's, it's, he plays Christian Wolf, but it's. it's there's two F's, but it's an O instead of the U. But yeah, pretty close. Lovely stuff. Uh, good little bit of fact knowledge there. Um, Christian, we play St. Mirren on Saturday, 5.30pm kickoff. Uh, what's your just general thoughts uh, coming into this game? General thoughts, that's an awkward kickoff time for me. It's size, it could, could have been, it's been a bit earlier, a bit later. It's half five, it's, you have to like... You know, the kids are going to have dinner soon and stuff like that. So we'll see. So it's a bit awkward, actually, for me. But other than that, yeah, it's... I was thinking yesterday, which was uh, behind the scenes look here, which was Wednesday. I was like, I wish it was a Celtic game tonight. Yes. Felt like it should be a Celtic game. So it's it's a bit long. So, so I'm looking forward to it. Give yeah. me anything. But we was thinking the other day here that after the game last week, we realised there was only one more league game in... February, and you know, to, to March. Add March to that. Four league games. The rest of February and the whole of March. Four league games. Do we have an international it's, break coming up? Is that what you're telling me? There, there is an international uh, break as well, geez. and then there's uh, the cup, it's the the league cup, and then there's some others. There's another cup coming there as well. If 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 Celtic uh, is victorious at about half seven on uh, on Saturday, yeah. Well, uh, we can't. Let's let's hope we are victorious. Yes. Um, are St. Mirren a good? Obviously, we, we played St. Mirren in January and, and we kind of uh, we dispatched them four 0 and uh, it was quite a straightforward victory. Obviously, the game kind of they're the only team to beat us this season domestically, so mm-hmm. they will always kind of have that sort of double think, I guess, about you know. Yeah, what's your what's your thoughts in regarding to it being St. Mirren? Is the fact that it's home? Makes it a little bit more not easier, but like comforting, I guess. Yes, I, I think so. I think oh, St. Mirren 
It's actually because I sent you over something like earlier, and I think as the season has gone on, and we, you kind of try to plot stuff like expected goals for and against for the whole league. You got Celtic in the top right corner, which is good, right? And then you got Rangers a little bit behind, which is good. But after that, all the other teams are just a big cluster of teams, really. Yeah. And it's like, for example, like if you look at XG difference per per game, like Hibs is third on zero point three two per game. St. Mirren is actually fourth on minus zero point zero one. But then last place is Ross County on on zero point eighty, and it's all like. They're all kind of, it's just different shades of, of grey, really, in, in terms of the rest of the league. And it's it's like a Celtic one, Rangers two, and then the rest of them is kind of like, ah, there's some better ones and some worse ones. But it's kind of like, you know, it's just kind of like the Scottish weather, really. It's just like different shades of autumn, the, the rest of them. Um, so, so that's like, and there's things about some Mirren in terms of, so, it's that weird thing. So I can't really tell. Is Samarin a good team this season, or are they are they not a good team? Because they're there is so even within all those teams. And I think maybe come back to this a little bit later. But I just think there's no there's such a comfortable feeling around Celtic and pretty much every other team in the league at the moment. And I think yeah, if it's a Celtic Park because they haven't lost a domestic game in over two years now, it's the same. And maybe it's the squad depth for Celtic that, that comes in because, you know, the, you have the five substitute, but you have a great squad, especially this time of the season. And, you know, the system is usually working quite well. So, yeah, maybe a bit too comfortable. Yeah, I mean, they're very even, Stephen. Like, they're sixth in the league. Um, they've almost the same amount of um, victories as, as they've had defeats sort of thing. It's very, they're right in that, that middle. And you're right. I mean, looking at the league, it is very much a... Celtic Rangers, and then just a bit of a blob. Um, does that is that see from Scottish just, Premier blob? <laughs> Scottish Premier blob. See, blob. see, see from a, a like a purely is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Like that you've got a lot of teams who essentially can anyone can beat each other on their day. I mean that sounds like a good league if you take Celtic and Rangers out of it. Any team can beat each other on on their day, and no one's really pulling away. Yeah, I mean it's entertaining league. And I, I think there was, it's one of those stats that they usually make the rounds sometimes in terms of the attendance uh, at Scottish, you know, uh, tough fight games compared to everybody else in Europe. And you go like, oh, Scotland, Scotland's always top. Yeah. Almost because, you know, you have clubs like, you know, Rangers and Celtic are playing. Uh, sorry, I, do, I know you hate that. I said Rangers in front of Celtic there. Yeah. Apologies, Celtic. And Rangers. I mean, it's the alphabet, if nothing else, Christian, come on. I know. I mean, it's, we're Norwegian. We do the alphabet the other way. We don't actually. That's just that's just the thing. Um, Celtic and Rangers, if they're at home, like, that's 100,000 people. So you go, of course that. But then they're saying, see if you take away Celtic and Rangers. Scotland would still be third yeah. in attendances. Like, it's, 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 it's mad. So it is like an entertaining league that, you know, is it good? Eh. I mean... <laughs> I think I've come across, as I said before, trying to analyze teams that Celtic are going to play against and see if they haven't played against Celtic or Rangers lately. It's narrow impossible. I was trying to um, look at, was it um, St. Johnston? <laughs> I think, but it's, was it? anyway, um, 
I was trying to look at them playing against Aberdeen. And oh, it was some Merrin, actually. And I was like, you can do this thing on Insta where you, you give them, like, uh, you just watch the positional attacks, so just attacks with, like, the opposition built up against. So I was like, that's good for me because I get to see how some Merrin set up in a block. Yeah. Honestly, it's like two, three times a game. Aberdeen's just boom, boom, like goal kick, boom, up. It's like as soon as the ball goes out to the fullback, boom, up. And it's just like, eh. I mean, it's not just that is just one way you should be playing football, like playing out from the back. But you'd think like if there was a team, like especially like Aberdeen, Hodge, I guess Hibs trying a little bit, they just went, we're just going to play possession football and just keep the ball and just do it. And if it takes a half a season to get right. It's going to happen. Yeah. But instead, it's just like, and it's like, so I think it's entertaining, but it's, it's, it's very good. There's, not, there's nobody really clear stands out over the other teams. I think the teams are like a bit ahead, like Hearts, Hibs, and Aberdeen. It's because they got, usually got a little bit better players. So that's the only difference. Yeah. Um, talk me through St. Merlin. So, as we said, St. Merlin, very much in the middle. Like, XT difference, we have them at fourth. Um, Steven Russell's league table uh, X, on XG, he's actually got him on six bar, bar on expected points. Got him on tenth. So there's a lot of stuff I think overall happening with somewhere in that they're kind of falling on the right side of games. You know, they're kind of falling down on their side and maybe quote unquote better bet lucky to get as many points as they have. But all the underlying stats, you go, they're pretty much. Like the, the main ones, like you know, goal difference, uh, XG difference, and everything, bang in the middle. But the, there's some quite interesting differences in terms of how, if you break those stats down in attacking stat, defensive stat, possession, and pressing stats, then, you know, some cool, well, cool, some cool things happen. And it's possession wise, they're pretty much at the bottom of the league and everything in terms of. Second least passes, fewest passes. They have the lowest pass completion rate. They have the lowest possession. And they have the second lowest seconds per possession. And it's the same kind of with a lot of the pressing stats, like how many presses they do, how many passes they allow the opposition to do, you know, how many how, how many seconds do the pos- opposition have per seconds in possession. And they're all like towards the bottom. So you go... So, so they're they're happy not to have the ball at all, but then attacking wise, like absolutely bang in the middle, like like sixth and seventh and fifth and stuff. And the defensive side is then quite interesting again because the actual territory they concede, so they let the opposition get into their own half and final third and control the ball. They're towards the bottom, the eighth. But then you start looking at things like what's happened when teams get closer to Samaria's penalty box. And that's like conceding those entries into the box, the fifth best, shots against fourth best, XG against third best, right? And the average chance quality against this is also fifth. So, and you see this in, in the shot map as well. They have a big proportion of the shots they can see that are outside the box or quite wide inside the box. And I think they've been a little bit lucky in terms of their position and the opposition's got, they conceded 30 
expected goals, but they only conceded 25 goals. And, and Trevor Carson is pretty much, he's not overperforming in terms of his, his save percentage. So there's probably a little bit of luck in that opposition having managed to score more. But I think overall with Samirin, I think you get a clear picture from the stats that fits very well with what we see or what maybe we, we expect to see from them. And that is, they're happy not to have the ball much. You're happy to go direct with the passing. They happen to give up territory until about the final third, but it's they're very effective at stopping teams getting into their own box, getting to shots, getting to good chances. But other side, they're still even with sitting quite low. They they create a decent amount of chances without that much much possession. I mean, okay, they, I, I think the league table is a little bit kind to them, but overall, it's, it's what you expect. You know, they give up territory, but they're hard to actually get into the box, and and they're pretty good at you know creating chances from like less passes essentially so see the idea like they just don't want the ball <laughs> like i still i i understand the concept of it right but i still find it quite odd that a, a, a coach would essentially say like he's not he's not going to be, break it down and say don't get the ball don't have the ball but like obviously it's like when we're in possession when we're out of possession i still i can still kind of find it hard that you would essentially like have that as your philosophy that you don't necessarily want the ball as much as as the opposition and obviously that that kind of highlights the the fact that when you have the ball and when you're on it you have to do more with it yeah i i, I think miss Marin's second i said second fewest passes per game so they have about a 316 but you go up to Aberdeen, who's had the fifth most passes per game, and they have 414. Like, so, I, again, it's like, yes, I mean, is among the lowest, but they're not actually that far away from a team like Aberdeen, 100 passes a game, right? Whereas Celtic's got 700 per game. You know, so it's twice as much. But I, I think it comes from the fact that they're happy to not press that much high. Right, so they're happy to concede territory and be quite effective in that. So it's probably, as I said, they, they have the least possession of any like possession time of all the other teams. But I think, for once they actually have possession, they seem to be quite effective. In it. So I guess that's the plan. Yeah. You know, it's you know, it's not don't give up much space. Be really tough to break down once you you're around their penalty box, but at least have. There must be something in their setup offensively and in the counterattacks that you know allows them to create that. And you know, set pieces comes into that as well. But I think they're the pretty much the only team this season that's properly countered on on Celtic in, in a way that actually you know creates a few good chances and, and gets a goal as well. Because you, you don't get that many open play goals against Celtic this season, but but they did. So um, as again I said, like possession wise, yeah, it's really low. But again, it's like a slightly darker shade of. Great, I guess. <laughs> all the other non-passing teams in, the, in this league. Um, Curtis Main. Should we be worried about him? He seems to be in very good form at the moment. Um, he has. Um, I was like, yeah, but he is Kurt. He is what you think he is. But there's, there's um, in the in the hips game there. That's lost recently. There's a moment where the hips play has a, a terrible back pass straight to Curtis Main. And he's like, get the ball about 25 yards out. And he's only got like one defender in front of him 
coming in from his side. And I just, you just see Curtis Main distilled because he takes the ball about five yards ahead onto the edge of the penalty box. And this other like hips player is coming in from the side, right? And he's like, you can see he's like, Curtis Main shapes up to shoot. And this hips player, it signals like so clear that he's, he's just going to try and dive in front of the shot. So any player with a slight bit of quality would just stop, fake, fake the shot and go past him. Curtis Main just balloons it into the stand, right? And I think that's that's essentially the kind of player you get. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's he is he's strong. He, he moves about. He's you know he he'll, he once he's in the penalty box, he can do a bit of damage. But I mean, there's very little quality there overall in terms of you know having any sort of a, awareness, composure, and, and stuff like that. But I guess that's not what he's there for. Yeah, absolutely. What are their main? Obviously, you may you know the, the counter does very well in. in at St Mirren Park but Celtic Park's a very different kettle of fish is the does the bigger obviously as we as I mentioned at the start you know we, we beat them 4-0 in January and it was fairly comfortable is that pitch just too big for them I, I don't think it helps in terms of the, the way teams try to set up and um, to do that I, I was thinking like that's a mirroring game it's obviously, obviously it's certainly it's only lost domestically this season, but it, it, I think it's such a, it feels like such a catalyst for the other teams in the league. So, so I, did, I did like I went back and did a little bit of research in terms of did that Samarian game kind of are they responsible for all those kind of teams like if be Celtic Park or away and had to come and sit in a low block like five at the back right and. So I went back, and this is obviously I take a lot of it from Insta, and they kind of put the formation of the opposition team. Last season, Celtic played 40, uh, let me get this right, 49 domestic games outside of Rangers, right? And 22 of those games, they faced a back three or a back five, and 27, they faced a back four. Okay, so it was, it was pretty even, like 45% of the games they faced a back three or a back five. And this season, like in the first six games, they outside the ranges, they only faced one team with a back three or a back five. Right? So there was enough, but then the Samarian game happens. Obviously, Samarian goes in a two, three, five. And after the Samarian game, Celtics played like, 20 games take away the derby 14 of those games the opposition has played a played a back five and the six times that haven't happened three of them were against motherwell and then hart hips and ross county and tell you what the last 11 games outside the derby 10 of them something have faced a back five so i think it's it and i think the odd so it's quite clearly that that st marine game triggered something in yeah. the whole league. And I think the other thing we maybe forget about around the same time, Chris, is right afterwards, Celtic goes to Dundee United and beat them 9-0. And I, it, ironically, Dundee United play a 2-3-5 as well, but they played really badly. And I think between those two games, I think something just snapped in the mind of most um, premiership uh, managers in that they saw the 2-3-5 for some merit and how effective it was. 
they saw Dundee United getting hammered and Jack Ross losing his job and they thought, nah, no way. I'm I see what Samaritan's trying to do. I'm gonna do that against Celtic. And the funny thing is that I think we're kind of coming into a a situation that way kind of suits Celtic and their opponent. Because I think the teams, if they do the two three five, like or five three two, if you look from the other side, fairly well, you can restrict Celtic in periods of the game. And okay, some teams do better than others. Like I think Kamarnock in the first half was really good. Livingston wasn't very good at it, but I think overall, if you if you do it to a decent standard, you can restrict Celtic in periods. Um, eventually you've got a break, Celtic might get a set piece or a counter and so on, but you'll end up losing two or three with two or three goals. Right. And I think that's and that maybe that's the reason why we've some this time this season we've got ah, Celtic haven't really exploded, but they keep winning. And I, I think there's a lot to do with this tactic. And they go, We're gonna do this. I'll get me a two or three goal loss. That's fine. Because I'm not gonna lose nine nil. Uh at worst I'm gonna get lose by four goals and a best, you know, maybe one goal, maybe even a draw. So I think Celtic's happy with that. The opposition is happy with that. Because it's it's really, you have four, three teams like, like Aberdeen, Livingston, and St. Johnston, and they all played ranges really at Ibrox. Like the game or two games before, they all went with a back four. Yeah. And they were all quite aggressive. And then they come to Celtic and go, ah, back five. So I think that's a main game really triggered something together with the Dundee United game. And now you're going to get most teams, I said, 10 of the last 11 games. Hibs is the only one who had played the back four. Two strikers or one striker and one second striker, three midfielders, five centre-backs. And that's it. And I get at the end of the day, everybody's like fairly happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like that trade-off of uh, I don't want to get hammered, but I know I'm not going to be maybe as effective comes together. I, can, I don't want to be that I, I, guy, but I can understand it. Do you know what I mean? I think some members the template for that. and Because before that, it was like, overall, maybe like 40%, like 45% of play the back five. And then suddenly afterwards, pretty much everybody except for Motherwell and Hearts and Hips are doing it. So it's like... Smart. Um, how are... But, what, yeah. what can we expect from St. Mirren on Saturday? So I think... You're gonna get a, a variation of like that five three two, and the thing I've had to like now occupy myself because every time I analyze something, it's like it's gonna be a five three two, and then on the review we go, guess what, Graham? They play the five three two, and so you kind of have to start looking at small things <laughs> in these five three two, and I think the one thing that tactically you can maybe look out for in the game on Saturday is. We talked a lot about McGregor being man-marked, right? And it's, it's done in a different way. So Rangers, for example, they brought Kent in from, from being a winger and sat him right behind the strikers. Yeah. Killing Livingston, they had essentially put uh, the second striker or attacking midfielder, the one behind the striker, just sat on McGregor the whole time. St. Johnston last time didn't really man-mark him so much. They just have kind of Stevie May right in the middle to block the passing lane. But St. Mirren... So they do something slightly different. They did it against Celtic last time, but they also did it against Hibs there. So Hibs is one of the few teams that play slightly similar to, to Celtic playing out. And what happens is essentially that if McGregor receives the ball in front of the two strikers, he'll be pretty much unmarked. 
But as soon as he steps in between the strikers or kind of behind them to receive the ball, it's actually the, the middle center midfielder who jumps up. I think it's uh, Erhan, he's probably pronouncing that. So it's the middle one who kind of jumps up and do it. And it's, it's, it's very different because we expect kind of the middle one in that midfield tree to maybe be the deep pivot and sit a bit behind, but he's the one jumping up all the time. So I think that's one thing to look out for. Um, but other than that, it's, it, you see, maybe I'm just going blind on these things, but the one thing you see with these teams when they line up in this five, three, and two, and it happens in this, some variation all the other times. It's that obviously if, if you have those three midfielders, if, if your two strikers are kind of kept up and you have just the three midfielders back, the way Celtic play with their wingers, right? They're so wide that they always kind of what we call pin the, um, the wingbacks. So your wingbacks, your position wingbacks is also quite low. So what you do is you get the midfield tree. So when the ball goes out to one of Celtic's fullbacks, for example, the midfield tree moves over, right? So, you know, the, the left side, the center mid go all the way over to meet Alistair Johnston and the other ones comes after. But it means like the, the midfield player on the other side of where the ball is, he'll be around the center circle. So beside him again, there's always this big, big space, you know, beside him and in front of the, like the right center back. Because the Celtic winger on the side is, is pinning the other ones. So that's the space you see, especially look at Livingston with Greg Taylor in that space all the time. Yeah. So it, I think that that's the kind of pattern I, I see all the time now. So it means you have that big gap on the far side. So, you know, the pass comes out to Alistair Johnston, the midfield three will move over. Taylor, we usually have half the pitch to pick the ball up. Hatati might be free there as well. So the way the teams, and, and then on the other side, if the ball goes to Taylor, it's, it's Johnson that can move into that, maybe O'Reilly and Y on that side. And the way, so obviously that's a big gap. Then the way most of the teams have tried to deal with that is that they take one of their centre-backs, like because they have three, and they jump up and they try to sit beside, create a midfield four. Mm-hmm. And Livingston, Livingston didn't do this in their game because they kept their three centre-back together and they got absolutely killed in that first half. Yeah. I think that was the moment. But some of the other teams, Kilmarnock did it quite well. Sam Merrin did it quite well. Have a look at that. When you, you often, maybe even when the ball is on that side as well, because what often happens is if the right central midfielder jumps out and say Taylor, Hatata might be free behind them. But then the centre back would jump up, so they used that third centre back's account, like a fourth midfielder, to jump up and down. You have to get that timing right. And I think this is what you see, like at the starter game. Sometimes teams are doing this well. You're getting the right centre back up. You're compressing the space. You're not getting much time, but it's really difficult to do for a long period of time. And that's what it's part of the reason why Celtic just grind them down. So I, I get it, and Celtic could exploit it by you know if you have piss, uh, quick passes. The movement is constant, especially if you can switch play as well. Because against Livingston, see if Alistair Johnston have the ball against Samarin on, on Saturday, you can bet you anything. Greg Taylor is completely unmarked on half the side of the pitch. Other one, so yeah. I, I think that's why you. There's those two things you, you you always look at, and it's the same pattern in all these kind of teams, right? They man mark McGregor in some way. 
they used a third center back to jump up. So Hatate and Hatate and Taylor isn't two against one, or say Moy or Johnston isn't two against one on the other side, and it's it's the same patterns. Uh, it's driving me a little bit crazy. <laughs> to be honest, because I see it every night. But it's look it, and. and and then, then some variation that doesn't work and it falls down in the Celtic score. So, yeah, that's, Celtic, that's my prediction. Celtic's quality will always shine through. Um, ground and pound, ground and pound. Um, Christian, superb, awesome. Um, looking forward to the game on Saturday. Hope you get the, the kids to bed or in time. Or get them. Is this good dinner? Have them dinner in front of the TV. Dinner in um, front of the TV. Yeah, well, there you go. Oh, what I will say about something. What, see, don't get trapped out wide. Because what I've seen is it's, they're very good at boxing you in. If they, have, they, they put four players around, Celtics, three players that wide, then they have like this kind of defensive security line, two behind them as well. So don't get boxed in wide don't. against St. Marin. That's what I'm going to tell my kids when we, when, we, when we watch the game on Saturday. I say they don't want to get boxed in. Just let them eat their dinosaurs. Just let them eat their dinosaurs in peace. Come on. Uh, Christian, pleasure as always, sir. We'll speak to you very soon. Let's speak to you down the road. <laughs> Great stuff there, looking ahead to the game against St Mirren. Um, it's a 5.30 kickoff on Saturday, so that's, is that half six for you? Half six for us, huh? brilliant. I'm really looking forward to it. Lovely it's stuff. Prime Saturday night drinking time combined with Celtic playing. Excellent. Um, are you, so you are part of the Berlin Celtic Supporters Club? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, have, uh, we have a pub in Neuke, an area called Astrostub that's originally a St. Pauli uh, pub. Um, I think we've been in there for you know four or five years now. Uh, and you do occasionally get other groups of fans. There's a sort of Inter Milan supporters club that sort of drinks in there as well. So um, it's always quite a, an odd mix on certain match days. Um, but I'm no, looking forward to it. You know, I've really enjoyed in recent seasons the sort of semi-final at Hamden when it's been half five on a on a Saturday and it's a, it's a good time for for football. Um, you know, if you're going to the game, you can have a few pints before it and uh, a few after it, and still up the road for a reasonable time. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. Um, it adds an extra bit of spice to the sort of whole occasion having it at that time. Yeah, um, and I really really exciting. Yeah, I can agree more. Um, I'll be heading along to it. Half five, few pints before, few pints after. Glorious, absolutely glorious. Um, what are you expecting from it? Um, we obviously played them. Uh, we played them in January. We kind of we we did pretty well against them four nil. Um, are you expecting the same, or do you think there is? It's hard to kind of say that there's going to be any, any an element of difference because it's the Scottish Cup. Because we're at home, it's not it's not Hamden or anything. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean. We've spoken about it a lot in recent weeks, you know, teams turning up to Celtic Park or to players in general and generally looking sort of, you know, if they're happy just not to take a doing. Uh, but, you know, it's a cut tie. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they sort of set up and deal with that dynamic, whether they do come out and try to have a go. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting that St. Johnson tried to do that a little bit. Uh, last week, and, you know, it wasn't necessarily 10 men behind the ball and it wasn't necessarily... You know, wasn't like they get embarrassed. Um, you know, St. Mirren are definitely one of the better organised sides in the league. Um, what, I'd, what I'd imagine they'll do is try to keep it tight and 
um, you know, hold on to the last 20 minutes and then send a few more bodies forward and, and look to play off set pieces and so on. Um, so the key for us, I think, is really getting that early goal and sort of coaxing them out a wee bit because they will at some stage have to have to go for it. And the Celtic side is shown when you give them a bit of, bit of space, then they, they can really, really exploit it. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, St. Mirren will come and try to be quite stodgy and difficult to beat, especially for the for the first hour. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they've got a pretty bad away record. Um, their home re- their home form is good, but their away form isn't particularly good. And as I say, we kind of we uh, beat them four 0 um, on uh, the January the eighteenth. Um, in regards to lineup, we talked again. We talked about it kind of briefly. I mean, Alan seems to think that there's not going to be a lot of changes. Um, Sermani's kind of very similar thought. What What are you thinking regarding that? Do you think he will kind of make any changes? Uh, thoughts? Uh, I think we'll see a couple, um, but I think we see a couple most week because Janj quite likes to to rotate. But I don't think we'd see anything radical because you know it is only one one game a week. I think what's interesting about this is probably it's your last chance to try anything before the cup final. Yeah. You know, if it's getting certain minutes into players' legs or, or, or trying, you know, certain combinations um, down either of the wings or so on, it's it's the last chance because, you know, you're not wanting to do it next week with, you know, three points up for, for grabs. Um, that, I think, next week will be a fairly, you know, expected lineup. I think here you could, you know, potentially see... Um, a couple of a couple of changes, partly with an eye to, towards the final. You know, personally, I'd uh, if you wanted one sort of curveball, um, I think it would be interesting to see Iwata start. Um, I think you know, especially with an eye on on that final in a couple of weeks. You know, what we've really struggled a bit with um, is when players is when teams just put a man on McGregor and he's our only six. Um, and then the ball gets recycled between sort of Carter Vickers and Starfield, and, and we struggled. We definitely struggled a bit after that first twenty minutes to to sort of play through them uh, at Ibrox, um, or consistently sort of build the play. Um, well, I think if you maybe put a Wata in there, and then you have the option of you know pushing McGregor forward, but he can also drop deep. It would be it'd be interesting to see if it upsets that dynamic. And you know that's not even with the view to Wata starting the cup final. I'd be very surprised if he did it. But it would be interesting to know that at least whether you have that in your arsenal to to potentially change things. Always uh, always another one. You know, as much as I think. You know, Jack Kamaka's performances against Rangers have been overblown a little bit. They did seem to struggle with a more physical uh, physical striker. So I think if you can get half an hour uh, into him, um, again, with the with the cup final in mind, and, you know, if you do want to change things later on or that things aren't quite going your way, he does provide a completely different dynamic to Kyogo. So those are the two, um, you know, I know Kieran was saying on the agenda that Kobayashi, um, you know, might help alleviate some of the problems playing out from from the back, but I can't see us, you know, switching from a fairly tried and tested formula and, and Starfield and Carter Vickers, and I think those would be fairly harsh because I don't think their performances have merited, you know, being broken up as a as a centre half pairing. Um, I, I don't imagine Ange will do it, but Iwata's definitely one with you know with an eye on that game. You think you can maybe provide a slightly different dynamic in that midfield. I do wonder if you know he's talked about you know options that Awata gives you in regards to playing two 
instead of one two being two one like that double pivot sort of thing i wonder do you think there would be any po- any sorry, any point do you think there would be a chance that he might try and do something like that before the cup final just as a tester i mean it's, it is really unlikely right i totally get that but even just you know the next time we play them that whole idea of you know them kind of marking mcgregor and that being their kind of mm-hmm. main force of trying to try to stifle us if you've got two there ready to receive the ball it might give a different perspective um i know it would be i mean one of the tactics guys can probably go into in more detail but it would be interesting to see how that impacts our play because you know, I know we're jumping ahead a bit here, but Rangers do play with that really sort of narrow block and sort of are quite happy to surrender the wings. And, you know, I'm assuming if you play with, you know, two holding holding midfielders, you know, and build up anyway, that your full backs aren't coming inside and you're trying to stretch the game a little in a little bit more of a traditional way. Um, you know, I do, do think we need to play the game in front of us. And with that, I don't think we would necessarily trial it against um, St Mirren because, you know, you don't want to be disrespectful to the opposition either because it's, I mean, it's the only team that's beaten us in the league this season. Exactly. Um, you know, we do need to take it seriously and, and you know, go out and, and treat, treat them with respect. Um, but I, I think, you know, that sort of setup. Is something that I think Ange might might consider. You know the way he hinted at it as well. You know, with an, an eye on the Champions League next year, maybe. Um, I do think eventually we'll see something, but I get the feeling that Ange will probably try things like that out in training, and then all of a sudden spring it on an opposition. Yeah, I I I think you're probably right. Um, in regards to the actual lineup itself, back five probably the same. Um, Moy. O'Reilly, I mean Hatati and McGregor are probably stick-ons. If you if you get the opportunity to play Awata, you would then just move McGregor up, and it would be McGregor and Hatati. Um, yeah. But if if McGregor starts in six, and Hatati obviously will start as well. Is it Moy? Is it O'Reilly? What are you thinking for this? I think on on current form, it has to be Aaron Moy. Um, you know, I thought he was you know standout last weekend. Yeah. Um, finished for his goals just. Incredible, but it's also the way the way you know Aaron Moy's a, a slow player um, in general. But I, you know, I was thinking part part of the reason it seems to have worked or have clicked re- recently is he has so many runners for him that it actually doesn't matter if he slows the ball down a little bit. You know, yeah. he's not the most dynamic player. But sometimes it's you know just waiting that half second uh, for a defender to move, you know, a couple of yards, and and that's what opens up the space and. You know, you hear Guard, the likes of Guardiola and so on. You know, always talk about you know players that have this quality. I think the Spanish terms poser, whatever. And it's you know, it's not players that essentially play the game at 100 miles an hour, but know when to stop and basically wait that half second for a, a gap or an opportunity to to open up. And Moy sort of seems to possess that ability. Um, you know, I, I think Hatati's great at it uh, as well. Um, so despite him not being the sort of archetypal Ange number eight, um, you know, he does run, but it's a fairly slow, slow, constant speed. Um, but he has that, he has those moments of, of quality that can, you know, help you retain the ball or, you know, really pick a defence open at, at certain points. Um, so no, I think he's, he's far exceeded all of our expectations. I thought we all thought he'd be solid, but unspectacular, but the, the vein of form he's in right now, um, I think it, it's really difficult to leave him out. And it's, it's harsh on Matt O'Reilly because I don't think he's done much wrong. Um, 
but it's also I think a, a real great challenge for him as a young player to you know realize that he's not going to have it all on easy street and you know he now needs to fight his way back back into the side and you know I've no doubt that he'll be able to do that at some point yeah I think that's the thing um give him this you know you put the the challenge down to him that Moy's just playing a little bit you know better he's in better form uh force him out you know that's that that's exactly it like, you know he's, he is still a young player and he's not had a lot of experience of you know really having to force a first team player out at this level so yeah i think the the challenge has been thrown down to him and I th- i'm very fairly hopeful that he'll kind of rise to it um the front three you'd imagine kyoko's going to be your man um uh, who on the wings would you like to see tomorrow who do you think's going to see uh not Talila Bada. um not after last week uh, I think Dizamide is another player who's you know banging form and you know he offers so so much um, to the team. The you know defensively, obviously, because of the amount of work that he puts in. But I think since post World Cup, the the quality and his touch and everything, it just he looks a lot more assured. Uh, and I you know wonder how much of that to do, is to do with confidence. Um, you know, it's clear that Harry Kiel has been working with him a lot. And, you know. Uh, no, Alan mentioned um, the other day. You know, even in the warm up, you know, Harry Kiel's you know firing balls into him um, to cross them in first time. Um, and I think you know you've really seen him kick on uh, in that regard. And it's probably a mixture of coaching and confidence. So for me, he's a he's a stick on each week, and then it's it's Jota. Um, you know, if Jota's fit, Jota plays in in my book. Um, you know, in terms of. I think Haksabanovic was probably the one that you're most interested to see because he was in sort of a rich vein of form before the World Cup. Uh, he's had the sort of niggly injuries and so on and been in and out the team um, since and only getting a few minutes here and there. Um, but he's one you sort of think he has real quality and you know, he'd probably be the first one off the bench, hopefully. Um, because you do look at him and I think he's a player who can impact impact that side, particularly, particularly in the long run. Um, Abada, you don't know what you're going to get from him, and you know we, he could play in two weeks' time and pop up with a hat trick, and yeah. nobody would be would be surprised. But the problem with it, and you know, it, with all the caveats that he's young, he's a winger, and so on, the inconsistencies to be expected. But the the real problem with with him is you, you don't know what you're going to get, and then big games you sort of want you want to sort of trust your players and kind of have a guarantee of what level of performance you're going to get and that's the challenge for him now to consistently you know consistently do it because there's no doubt that he's got you know bags of ability yeah um that is the the thing i think you're absolutely spot on he could play in the, the league cup final and score a hat-trick and everyone be like yeah sure up uh, yeah not surprised but it's the games outside of that where his inconsistency i find him i, I find it I get quite frustrated and quite annoyed at a bad and maybe that is unfair because he is young but he's a frustrating young man frustrating young man of course uh great stuff um just a a kind of prediction for tomorrow doesn't necessarily have to be the the exact score just a goal scorer or something that's going to happen in the game um i'll I'll give you a score i'm going to go four miles out oh oh, oh, beautiful beautiful uh like let's get the st mirren perspective I'm joined once again by Mark Jardine from the Misery Hunters St Mirren Fan Podcast. Hello Mark, how are you sir? I'm all good, how are you? Not too bad. Uh, The last time we spoke was just before the only 
domestic defeat Celtic have had this season. Uh, I'm sure. Tell me more. <laughs> I'm sure you are uh, absolutely basking in that. Uh, give us your thoughts on that game, on kind of everything that went around that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I was a little bit bullish beforehand. Yeah. Um, more so than I've been facing Celtic for for quite a while. Certainly at that point at home, um, you could feel something was building, and that was the that was the kind of peak of our our kind of run of home form, which only just finished last weekend against um, against Hibs. We, we knew we were better at defending than we had been under Jim Goodwin, and we were certainly creating more chances. And I, I think it was just a, a case of waiting for a performance like that to come along against a against a really good side. I think um, one of our guys wrote a, a thing for the BBC this week and he, he pointed out that we are the only team to have beaten you this season, but we were also the last team to beat you at home domestically oh, um, under Lennon. But I think that was a very different Celtic, obviously. that That's not one to kind of hold up, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> given the, where the, the team was at the time. Whereas this felt like something a bit different. This felt like Celtic are really blown away everyone in front of them just now and actually through canny tactics, maybe wanting it a bit more, taking our chances and, and riding a little bit of luck. It felt like actually we deserve to beat the best team in the country on on that day. So yeah, it was good. It was a, that was a Sunday. It was. I drove to the game and then ditched my car and took full advantage of the wee funeral holiday the following day <laughs> to get absolutely melted, as I think about half of Paisley did. It was good. Oh, that's right, because it was, uh, yeah, she'd popped her clogs. So, yeah. yeah I actually um, texted my partner um, from my car after the game saying, uh, yeah, it looks like everyone's going to the, the pub. I'll just head up the road. <laughs> she'd phoned me back instead of texting and said, listen, you never beat Celtic and the Queens never did, so why don't you just go out and enjoy it? <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Um, obviously, that we, that game came back in, in uh, I think it was just the end of September. Um, have you have you been since then? Has that was that the cat, a catalyst? Obviously, you mentioned the home form, but has this been a catalyst to kind of go on and do better things? What are your thoughts? I think so. I mean, we've we've taken points off. Um, I think everyone in the league at home this year. We um, we drew with Rangers, save for a, a really late penalty that we deserved to to give away, just clumsy. Um, but a VAR penalty at that and uh, Hearts we were the better team then and uh, just, a, just a kind of freak goal by Snodgrass across that found its way all the way, the way across to the back post in horrible conditions you know th- th- those two aside would have taken three points off the three the three top performers in the, the league so there's been a lot of confidence at home at that point our away form was awful we'd we, um, we, trounced um, Jack Ross's Dundee United which I thought was very much the fashion at the time Um, absolutely trounced them but then that was the only three points we'd picked up away from home until just after Christmas Yeah, um, when we drew at Livy so our away form's got better we've we've not lost as many on the road Um, our home form as I mentioned we we lost a a kind of very poor um, what should have been a 0-0 draw we lost to to Hibs at the weekend there Um, but it wasn't for it wasn't for Hibs's quality. It was it was just a horrible, horrible day and, and they took their one chance and we we fluffed ours. It was a very even shit game. Um so we're not we've not collapsed or anything like it, but the home form's mellowed out a little bit and our, we've started picking up more away. So I think we're we're good value for sitting in sixth. Yeah. I, I don't think we're 
looking at. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, you're, you're literally right in the middle of the league um, in sixth place. Um, it's tight there. Uh, obviously, you've got Hibs ahead of you on 34 and um, Aberdeen just below you in 32. You maybe wouldn't have expected to see them uh, that kind of... You'd expect to see them in the top six, essentially. But what have you made of this season in regards to, like, you know, so many managers being kind of sacked and teams playing and underperforming and stuff, whereas you guys have... You've got that sort of... That sort of consistency. I mean, five wins, six defeats, and six draws since we played you last. There's, there's something happening there. I think so, and I, I understand how fashionable it is to not like Stephen Robinson. You know, for you know the last year, almost exactly a year aside, I was absolutely in that that camp. You know, kind of grudgingly respected what his Motherwell team did without ever really thinking too much about how he did it or whatever. Whereas it's been a bit of an insight actually um, once he's come through the door. Just in terms of the squad that he's built, I think he was quite... He took a bit of flack before the summer, coming out and saying, you know, these aren't my players. I've worked in a very specific way. People need to buy into that. There's going to be a lot of change in the summer. I just want to get to the summer. And a lot of people thought, you know, he was kind of writing off, like kind of painting Jim Goodwin to be some sort of messiah when actually he'd not won in 11 games and then had a four-game run after Christmas that got him the third biggest job in the, the country. And I think Robinson kind of came in and said, look, this is the squad that's that's here. There's a lot of gaps there and recruited really well. Made seven signings in the summer and six of them, you know, near enough start every week and have been a big improvement and have like resale value, which is a bit of a noble concept for, for us. So not, um, not taking any of it for granted. Um, there's, there's a real team spirit about the place and also we're bastards to play against, which has never been the case. We've been a soft touch for as long as I've I've supported this. You know, it was it was lovely to watch a Danny Lennon side and you know to watch Jack Ross come in and just tear apart the championship with free flowing football. It was it was great, but we've always been the team that gives away penalties to dives. We've yeah. always been the team that gets we niggly double yellows and doesn't force them out of our opponents and and all this bit we never time waste effectively and and, and Robinson is, is just that he's a marginal gains guy. Is if there is a an advantage to be gained, then we're doing it, and teams are going to absolutely hate us for it. I have never seen a team take as long to take throw-ins in my entire life. Us one goal up at home, I'm not exaggerating. You're talking about a minute per throw-in, and it and it is glorious. Um, I'm all for it. You, you need to. We are very very unlikely to suddenly become, you know, the kind of hipsters' choice playing this fantastic tiki taka style or even having a go at, at doing what you guys are doing in, in terms of that kind of full on yeah full court press side of things it's, it's just not going to be our game so we just need to be savvy and canny and, and that's what we're doing that's the difference i think yeah great stuff great to hear um you know i saw stephen robinson's name being linked with aberdeen uh it's very you'd imagine it's quite unlikely after jim goodwin yeah, they, they didn't take too kindly to the last summer manager they've got. And also, Stephen Robinson's, we had um, 72% possession against, uh, who did we play with 10 minutes? Pod- uh, we Aberdeen get a man sent off five minutes in. Um, Ross McCrory, great great defender, if you've not heard him. Um, <laughs> best in the world, apparently. Well, to believe. <laughs> and best holding midfielder and right back, if you can believe um, Also loves Elbowin. Elbowin, Charles, <laughs> done in the past five minutes into a crucial game. Um, yeah, so they had a man sent off five minutes in, and we had the rest of the ball for the entire game, which was I think seventy three percent possession we had, and that raised our season average possession by almost two percent. One 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 game, um, we we averaged like thirty percent of the ball, but do more with it. That I think that was the case against Celtic. We we had thirty two percent of the ball, but 
we had better chances than Celtic did on the on the day and kind of restricted you guys to, to crosses from thirty yards out, which isn't really your your forty. Um, and that's what we're doing. Aberdeen won't accept that. They won't accept a guy coming up and saying we're going to give everyone else the ball and we're just going to be. They just won't take it. They're stuck in the early eighties. There's yeah. just no chance. Um, in regards to January, obviously that the windows uh, slammed shut, as we like to say. Uh, Tony Watt, kind of yeah, a bit of a surprise. Uh, he he played for you guys, didn't he? The, 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 I think he got a couple of minutes in Europe at some point. I remember. I can't can't recall. Never, never, no. never comes up. No. Um, yeah, strangest thing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been a, a truly uh, banner period for someone Daz to roll out the more clubs than Tiger Woods. Patter <laughs> as every third or fourth Sitman tweet for the last month has been about that. Um, you know, the odd Rory McIlroy mention or Bob McIntyre for your current girlfriends. Um, no, it was a fairly kind of timid window for us. Tony, what was unexpected? We let Eamon Brophy go on loan, who, if you, if you trust um, the kind of right people, is our highest earner by a, a distance and just hasn't justified that. I thought it was, I was all in favour of it at the time. It represented a bit of a change in how we signed yeah. players. It was a guy who was good now that we were trying to take it. He's you know, in form and all the rest of it, and it, it just didn't quite work. So we shipped him out, and then Jonah Younger, um, Celtic goal-scoring hero, mm-hmm. Stephen Welsh fouling hero as well, I believe. <laughs> um, yeah, he he's has crochets done, so he's out until at least the, the other end of the summer, so we were in a bit of a spot. But um, I think Tony Watt signing for, you know, Ross County or, or St Johnston again or, or whatever, I think is one thing, but coming to play for Stephen Robinson again where... I think he's quite open about the fact he's played his best football in that spell, you know, kind of with and in immediately after Robinson um, and that Robinson's a, a manager who kind of gets that he needs to be pushed in the right way. He's not, not isolated or ostracised, but needs to be like, you know, like disciplined basically to, to get anything out of him. And, and that he says, that's why he came back and that's why he signed for Robinson instead of, I think, taking a bit more money in Belgium. So, I think um, if he can get match fit, which I don't think he's, he's quite there yet, I wouldn't expect him to start on Saturday. Um, he'll probably come off the bench, but um, once he's fit, he'll start every week. You, you do want, I, you do wonder why he's not fit though. He's not. I mean, he's barely played for like three, four months. Yeah, it's it's, it's not that he's like we're not talking like Morelos unfit. Yeah. It's very yeah, playing playing to the gallery here, but um, <laughs> no, um, no, it's it's not like that. It's not like he it looks like he had three Christmas dinners. It's just that he's like not played. He's not match sharp. So he's come in and he's fine. He's come on the last two games and he's you know, he's put a shift in and he's tracked and chased. It's not that like he doesn't have that, but he's he was kind of frozen out at Dundee United, so he's just not getting ninety minutes in yeah. him. I don't think. Yeah. For now, um, but we're we're quite lucky um, in that. I mean, Curtis Main's going to start every week for us just now. He's an absolute handful. The spot next to Curtis Main is what you're fighting over. And it's a bit of a gift, really, because Kurtzman does the, the kind of dog work to, to set stuff up. We've got Alex Grieve, who he's a bit of a rough diamond, but he's he's effective so, and he's fit. You, you know, he'll run himself into the ground. And then we've got two young guys that we've brought back from loan spells in League One. Um, one in particular, Kieran Offord, who I think all the, the talk is that he's a Scotland international at some point in, in the future. Um, uh, I think he's, he's he's been down south for a couple of trials. He talked him into signing a two or three year deal to to stay. I mean, I think he's probably trained at both uh, both Glasgow sides at one point or another. He captained the Scotland under sixteens and seventeens 
at one point and he's he, you know, I think if he realises his potential he's got a lot to him. So you've got hungry guys coming off the bench and filling that kind of spot. So even if what doesn't work, it's not it's not the end of our season. We've got we've got options there. Yeah. But um, we'll we'll play two up top against them. Against you guys it'll be a three five two. Three five two. Um it's interesting. I I saw obviously Willie Miller's kind of comments about, you know, uh, rejects and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um this is the type of stuff you pin up in the changing room, isn't it? And just, you know, the next time you Big play time. Aberdeen. So um in, in regards to Curtis Main, he's someone who has caused us kind of problems in the past, very physical, um, and you said he's kind of on form at the moment. Is that something we should be looking out for? I think so. I think he scored in the the most recent game, the, the four, four now, was it? Um, yeah. Main would have scored the opener or the equaliser, but it was chopped off um, that, that's fairly right. marginally yeah. um, for VAR. Curtis Main, if you can get him breaking in on his left foot, has a, a shot that would trouble any goalkeeper in the league. If you get him coming in on his right foot, he looks like a centre-half. But in terms of effort, he's just so key to, to what we do. He's, he chases down everything. He's a nuisance, like a proper... Not just you know, like you know, he's a bit of a handle. He's a proper nuisance. Like games where we've we've really done well, you know, Christmas Eve against Aberdeen when we won three one. It's main hammering Anthony Stewart and drawing a red card out of him twenty minutes in that gets us our first goal with a penalty. But also we're then not in any danger because we're on top of him for for the rest of the day. It's not just that he's. I think he's our top scorer. I think he's got six in the league. It's not just that he's our top scorer. Almost everything good that we do in some way, Curtis Main has either. Started it, kept it moving, created the space by running constantly. His movement across the box is really something I don't think he gets much credit for at all. And I think if some of our other players were better or more tuned into what he was doing, he would have more goals or, or we would have more goals and, and finding him. He's a, like I'm, I'm as guilty of it as anyone. When he didn't play for someone, I thought he was a cart horse. And I, yeah. I said so for the first year at someone, I was probably far less kind than I should have been. But since Robinson came in, he just gets it. He just he fits a system and he's he's honestly he's, he's every chance of being our player of the year um, yeah I mean I just have images of him breaking Kieran Tierney's jaw in the Scottish Cup final um, no that was um, that was Stockley ah oh, fuck so it was that was Stockley um, Curtis Main is, is a beautiful man he wouldn't do something <laughs> um, he gets a lot of side yellow cards because I think referees think he's Jaden Stockley as well but no no it definitely wasn't me nah fair enough um, obviously the game on the 18th of January you mentioned it there briefly when you kind of had that VAR goal offside and stuff we did go on to win 4-0 would you think that'll be kind of looming large on the players minds if this game was at home obviously it's the Scottish Cup so it's very different what's your kind of thoughts on, on that kind of parameter I think we were probably due a game like that against against Celtic and you know away, at home I'd maybe have been a bit more disappointed but away from home it felt like everything just... Cl- I mean, the second goal in particular was at Hatati, yeah. shaping it round outside and then Kyogo chipping the... I mean, I, I don't care like who you are. Like, that, that goal's going in. Yeah. I don't think someone did anything anything wrong there. And then Robinson isn't the type to just sit back and try and keep the score down. He'll keep trying to break. He'll keep trying to, to do what he does. And so you're going to concede the odd goal. And if you come up against Celtic in form like that, then... You know, there's not. I think you could do that to Rangers and Hearts just as easily as you would do it to do it to us. Um, it, it just depends. I mean, I, I was last time I was actually at Parkhead um, as an away fan, at least um, was in the the cup game, the Jack Ross season, when we got 
promote the, the season we won the championship, I think, when we went 1-0 up and we were winning 1-0 at halftime. Brendan Rodgers was the and, manager, uh, yeah. yeah. And Brendan Rodgers came out with the most backhanded compliment. <laughs> I said that's the hardest. Uh, you know, that's the, the toughest opposition we've faced all season. I just won 4-1, Brendan, why don't you fuck off? <laughs> uh, but no, I was there for that. Um, we've always got that kind of thing in us. We've, we've absolutely got it in us to rise to, to a bigger game. You know, the it's coming up for the 10th anniversary of us winning the League Cup and the semi-final was was us beating you 3-2 yeah. at, at Hamden. Like it's, it, we're, we're certainly capable of it. Um, it. It could absolutely go either way. We could be sitting here on Saturday night having been trying to start having one plucked one, one out. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, we're capable of both. Yeah, not to go down the cliche route, but I mean, that is the kind of beauty of the Scottish Cup. It's the beauty of Cup football. Do you think that they will just go for it? Because... It's kind of like a free hit into it in a way. We 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 don't change. We 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 do not change the system we play. So we'll play in possession. It's a you know it's a hundred percent a three five two. It's it's Ryan Strain on the right hand side and either Scott Tanser or a guy we've signed on loan from Southampton who seems to be a bit of a prodigy. Thierry Small Spurs were trying to sign him on a permanent in January and when he chose to stay at Southampton and come to us on loan, which God knows. Um, but he's he's, he's eighteen, but he's He's, he's, like physically he just he looks like the kind of Curtis Menacide kind of biggest and strongest guy out there but he's, he's rapid um, I think there's every chance he maybe pushes Scott Tanser out and starts so you've got two guys that in possession will cover you know kind of the full full length of the pitch will go you know they'll, they'll be back when we're out of possession it'll be a, a five if not six at the back yeah. to try and swallow things up but when we break we'll break in numbers we'll play to it up front our system only works if you've got two guys running themselves into the ground trying to defend from the front and and limit stuff. So we'll we'll, we'll play the way we play. We won't change anything. I'd I'd had a bit of a breakdown on social media after the um was it before the the, the four 0 game where Packy Bonner was on Sports Sound, you know, saying you know someone changed to a back three yeah. to take Celtic on last time, and I think they might do the same again. It's like right, well, you've been paid to be a pundit on Sports Sound for the entire year that Stephen Robinson's been our manager and we've played one formation in every single game. It, it doesn't change. Yeah. So you'll you'll we'll be the same Celtic with the same someone, sorry, that you pumped in January, but also the same someone that pumped you in September or whatever it was. So it, it just depends. Depends what we do. I think it probably depends more on what you do in all honesty, which we can't really do anything about that. If if you're on it, you're on it, you'll probably break us down. And we'll need to be very, very clinical to take anything. Yeah, I mean, we're we're going to do a kind of preview of it, and uh, I, I kind of just get the feeling that we're just going to go with the strongest team. I, I don't think. I mean, there's potential yeah. that we'll bring in, you know, maybe one, you know, maybe an Iwata, maybe you know, someone a change up front potentially, uh, and a Bushy at the back, um, uh, Kobayashi at the back. Abushi's a a wrestler, um, but Kobayashi <laughs> at the back, you know, maybe. But but I think it'll be more a case of. One potentially two, but I think we'll just go our strongest team. I think that that's kind of. I think he really wants to push for this cup, you know, because he didn't get it last season, obviously. Yeah, and I think I, the, the, as well as us playing to the the kind of peak of what I think we were capable of at the time. I think the the our win um, in September, I think, was as much down to Ange maybe biting a bit more off than he expected in terms of changes. Moy played and he played in that really deep. Six row as yeah. opposed to ten eight, and then he just got battered 
Um, we had Ethan Erehon at that point, um, who you know was a real standout. This was his. He's been in our team since he was sixteen, but this has been his real kind of breakout campaign, where he's you know he's been a man of the match type performer most weeks, and he he just he just bullied him. Um, he signed for Lincoln City yeah, on the deadline day, I saw so that. Uh, we won't have him. We will have Alex Gogic, who. I don't know that anyone will enjoy playing against <laughs> Gogic at all. He's he's insane. Um, but he, he just goes. There is no. He is as ready to run thirty yards and melt someone in the ninetieth minute as he is in the first. And, and you just need to kind of put up with it. Um, so we'll see how it goes. I, I think I think you would. Oh, he's can kind of do what you want, I guess. <laughs> You've got enough strength and depth, and it might not change it, but. I would I would be pretty disappointed as a as a Celtic fan if you were to come in and make wholesale changes for this one because I, I think that's exactly what led to yeah led to bother last time. Kobe Ashley did play against us in the four 0 I'm sure I think that might have been his debut and he he looked really good. I mean I don't think we laid a glove but um he looked, good but he looked really good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just kind of before we kind of finish up, uh, obviously you had uh, Aaron Moy play for for you for a brief period. Um, you know we we are seeing his qualities. Did he have those qualities when he was playing with you? He definitely had something about him. So we picked him up. Um, I think it must have been under Danny Lennon. Um, we picked him up when he'd been released by Bolton. So I think he'd come over from Australia, signed for Bolton. Never really, I think he made a couple of appearances, but was very, very slight in signed for us. The, the kind of running joke with um, St. Run fans is that he spent more time that season and no other season. We had exercise bikes on the, the side of the, the oh, pitch for right, warm-ups. Yeah. And uh, the 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 running joke was that he spent more time on that than he did on the pitch, but he, but he was so slight. So we played um, we played a five in midfield a lot of a lot of the time then, and that included Paul McGowan. Um, who, you know, so Moy and McGowan both being the kind of stature they are in a team that couldn't afford to play, you know, kind of pretty and inverted commas technical footballers. Um, it was tough for him to break through that. They did both play and did both score when we beat Rangers at, at home on Christmas Eve. Delightful. Um, which is the kind of standout of Moy's entire time there. But he, he left us to go and sign the summer they were created for um, Western Sydney Wanderers. And within a year, I think he won the Asian Champions League with them. They won that in either the first or their second year. Yeah. Um, or whatever it was. And he kind of just kind of escalated from there. I didn't think he was this, um, you know, kind of bawling number eight. Um, kind of Rolls Royce of a player around then, but I, I watched them enough at Huddersfield and all the rest of it to to know his his quality. A lot of ball, a lot of good ball control. Obviously, he's got a footballer's brain, like could see passes, which for as hard as they tried, I don't know that Billy Mehmet and Craig Dargo and and all the rest of it were ever going to be on the kind of right wavelength for. But um, no, it's it's kind of good to see him doing well. I, I hope he has a shy game on Saturday, but of course, um. You kind of want anyone that kind of came through the door at someone and then went on to better things to to do well. He's, he's been the until Keanu back showed up. He was the the one World Cup player that you would keep an eye out for. Yeah, the kind of accent. So um, yeah, he's he's, he's he's quality. I'm I'm glad that it's it didn't look as if it was maybe going to go his way at the start of his time at Celtic. No. But I'm uh, I'm really glad he's bedded in and he's doing what he's doing. Great stuff. Uh, Mark, an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm sure we'll speak to you again over the next couple of seasons, but uh, I'd love to wish you good luck on Saturday, but unfortunately I can't. So 
don't need to. I don't need luck. I come on here and talk about someone, and then we win. So shit. If this is a, if this is a thread, we'll <laughs> never uh, speak to you again. Uh, I'm afraid. If, uh, if we do win, then I am going to go back like I did last time and take out all your predictions and put them into a big glorious compilation. So if you could really go all in when you do your preview and be really really disrespectful, I'd, I'd appreciate it. We'll do our best. Um, lovely stuff. Thank you. Uh, thanks very much, Mark. Cheers, mate. <laughs> Okay, great stuff. Just as we're finishing off here, we do have a question from Chris Riley. Um, he messaged in yesterday. In fact, I should highlight that Celtic FC women take on uh, Borough Muir Thistle in the Scottish Cup uh, on Sunday. It's a 12pm kickoff, um, so look out for that Scottish Cup weekend for Celtic overall. Uh, Chris Riley says, How difficult is it for us to change our initial perceptions on players? Certain analysts dismiss goals and their eyes to state player A is better than player B using stats. They can find that suit their argument. Uh, obviously, that's a whole big thing about you know using and stats in the the right and the wrong way um it is hard to change your initial perspe- perceptions but at the same time my perception of Aaron Moy was that he was going to be crap and uh, I bow down at his feet because he's a uh, potentially up for player of the year um so happy I've always said I'm very happy to be proved wrong um because it means that Celtic are doing well when you have perceptions of players we've done it in the past we'll probably do it in the future what's your thoughts I think it's inevitable. I think you always want to... There is a bit of you as well that wants to be the first to call it right on a player, which means you go into footed one way or the other, <laughs> yeah. and then it's too embarrassing to, to roll it back. You know, uh, For me, that was always Greg Taylor. I thought he was terrible, and it was very much team ball and golly, oh, uh, even after even after his sort of horny airport debacle. Um I still thought he was a significantly better player, but you know, Greg Taylor has completely proved me wrong, and I've been been delighted. You know, it, you, I think it's it's odd that you know if you if you can't hold your hands up and say you know I, I was wrong about a player and actually take pleasure in a, in a player you know proving you wrong. I've been delighted with Greg Taylor this season and his performances and and the way he's made me sort of eat my words. Um, but you know, there is it's just a natural football thing of you know. You want to, you know, you want to form an opinion right away, and you seize upon anything, you know, first touch or whatever, or you know, a good first twenty minutes. Uh, and a Celtic jersey is, is enough. That's why I think Dirk Baritzer's still going to be a big player for us big, one day. Big um, player, if you know what I mean. It's penis. Um, <laughs> it's a song in it. Um, but yeah, I we all do it. We all do it. Um, on the Cynic this weekend, we've got uh, the reaction to the St Mirren game on Saturday, um, which obviously will, will be a little bit later because the game's at half five kickoff. Uh, and on Sunday, we've got the stories and the songs. Myself and Mark Braceland uh, sit down and discuss Jimmy McGrory, um, which should be a fantastic episode. Um, we're going to finish. Fact or fiction? I asked two questions and you stay if they're fact or fiction and why, Callum. Uh, question number one. Andrew Postacoglu will be at Celtic next season. Fact or fiction? Um, I'm going to go with fact because I don't even want to, to potentially think about fact. You know, the you know obviously the Leeds job came up this week, and you know, it's the sign of a, a good manager that you know links start flying around. Uh, anytime one of these jobs come come up in England, and you know obviously Leeds are a, a fairly big club down there. You know, outside of the 
top six, seven. Um, they're probably on that second rung of you know teams with a good fan base and a bit of history. Yeah. Um, you know, a, t- a, t- a club with potential, um, certainly, and you know, as a team actually that has you know bags of quality uh, in it. You know, I saw them give Man United a real good game the other night. Um, and my my fear, obviously, is you know the likes of maybe the West Ham job or whatever comes up in the in the summer if they stay up and you know you got a sat talented side and Ange, as he repeatedly sort of alludes to, isn't isn't necessarily the youngest guy. And maybe he sees that as his opportunity to to jump. You know, he was you know as much as we like to think of him as you know a real old school loyal type. He also left Yokohama mid season uh, you know, on, a, on a title run. Uh, for us, so I've no doubt if the if the right opportunity came up, and and will potentially look at it and go. Um, but my hope is that we can get you know one more, at least one more season out of him. I, I think it would be a shame for him to have not really made any real dent in Europe. Um, and I think everything sort of in terms of recruitment this past January is geared towards um, next year and, and European football. Um, and you'd like Ange to sort of see that through because I do feel this is a is a special side that hasn't quite peaked yet. Um, you know, real real quality. Uh, you know, you look at the side and think that that could do some damage in Europe. Um, and it would be a shame for for Ange to to not see that through. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go with with fact. Um, despite you know stuttering there, I'm not seeming entirely convinced. Um, but I, Ange will be here next season, undoubtedly. Probably. Maybe. Hopefully. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Uh, great definitely. stuff. Uh, Kyogo will surpass 30 goals this season, fact or fiction? So you're on just now 21? 21 or 22. I think maybe 22. So it's only eight goals, but, you know. Eight goals. What have we got? 12, 13 league games. A few cup games. I, I think 30 is... is more than achievable for him in the sort of in the sort of form that he's in, uh, the way that the team's playing. Um, you know, he's been he's been really clinical, um, especially on the post World Cup. Um, you know, I think that's sort of really helped motivate him. The way that he was snubbed by the by the Japanese team, probably having to watch it um, at home and missing out. You know, that that can really you know put a fire in a player's belly um, and sort of help them kick on. Um, because I'm sure he would have probably been absolutely, absolutely devastated. But the only way he can get back in that Japan side and prove people wrong is continually going out there and scoring goals. And he's you know doing all that he can at, at the minute. Um, you know he's a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Um, he's, he's a joy to watch at times. The way that he just cont- continually, you know, drifts off defenders um, and his finishing of late has been has been superb. So. All things going well, and you know, with provided there's no injuries, I, I don't see why not. Um, this might sound harsh, but what I would say is, see if you're the Celtic number nine or you're the Celtic main striker, you know, other than injuries, I think you should be at least hitting 30. Is that too harsh? I think Henry Larson only did it twice. But it was always around 28 to 29 for the, for the rest. But I think 20, 25 is probably, you know, a fair, a fair amount over the course of a season. Uh, I think 30, 30 hard to do because you also need to stay injury free I know, I know we play you know 50 to 60 games a season um, 
But I think thirty, uh, you know, I, th- I do think it's a it's a really incredible achievement if he does manage to do it because it's not easy. Uh, you know, Henrik only did it a couple of times. Lee, Lee, the wonderful Lee Griffiths did it. Um, Henrik it's, Larson, it's a hard thing to do. Henrik Larson, there's only two seasons where Henrik Larson didn't score over thirty, pal. Oh. So you've, I've got my got my stats yourself completely mixed there, up. Yeah, uh, 98-99 he scored thirty eight. Uh, then he two thousand two thousand one fifty three thirty five forty four forty one. So that's all competitions though. So, so. Uh, what you're saying is Kyogo's total is pathetic. Um, it's a disgrace to the the great lineage of Celtic striker. Hey, I'm not the one that said at the very start of this podcast that um, essentially we only won the treble because of luck because Johnny Hayes missed a sitter. You know that's. <laughs> It's down to you. I didn't say it was entirely luck, but it did help that, you know, he's mm. getting no right foot. I will I mean that does help. Uh Callum, this has been an absolute joy, a pleasure. Um have a have a great time watching the game at the Berlin CSC. Get yourself some drinks, get yourself smashed. I'll be doing the same. Uh we'll speak to you very soon, sir. Thank you very much for having me, mate. Have a good weekend. Have a good weekend, everyone. From Callum Gordon from myself, Chris Gallagher, this has been the weekend update, and we'll speak to you down the road. <laughs> <laughs>